we know that fibromyalgia and multiple sclerosis are diseases of the nervous system. Is there thought now that all of the autoimmune and inflammatory diseases are also that as well? There is research showing this that, yes, autoimmune stuff comes from that. And because when you are in fight or flight or freeze stages in your nervous system, there are tons of hormones being dumped into your bloodstream, like adrenaline and cortisol and all of those things. And that causes inflammation. And if you are chronically in fight or flight or freeze, then guess what? You're chronically having that stuff dumped into your nervous system. And that can cause pain. And that can also tell your body that like we're under threat all the time. Thomas Edison, Richard Branson, John F. Kennedy, Mozart, Michael Jordan, Will Smith. That sounds like a list of highly successful titans in a variety of vocations. Why is it that we rarely hear that they have or had ADHD? And you know what we hear even less about? Serena Williams, Emma Watson, Mel Robbins, Whoopi Goldberg, Agatha Christie, Aaron Brockovich, Cher. Yeah, the successful women navigating ADHD. And that's exactly why I started this podcast, ADHD for Smartass Women. I'm your host, Tracy Otsuka. I'm a lawyer, not a doctor, a lifelong student, now a coach. I'm also the creator of Your ADHD Brain is A-OK, a system that helps people like you figure out what they should do with their life. And we're here today to talk ADHD, your strengths, your symptoms, your workarounds, and how you proudly stand out instead of trying to fit in. I credit my ADHD for some of my greatest gifts. And you know what? I spy a happier life for you too. So without further ado, a shiny new episode is starting now. Hello, I am your host, Tracy Otsuka. Thank you so much for joining me here for another episode of ADHD for Smartass Women. So this past week, I have had the enormous privilege of meeting so many of you at several of my book events in Southern California. It was so much fun. And I just got back last night from six days away. And oh my gosh, it's so hard to get back into things, isn't it? What I didn't know about book events is that there is a skill to talking, listening, and signing books and paying attention all at the same time. And I have definitely not mastered it yet. So I have a funny story. At our Pasadena event, I don't know if this happens to you, but I bet it does because it happens to me. And you know that your brain must be paying attention. Because all of a sudden, you remember something that you did many minutes ago, sometimes hours ago, but you didn't realize it at the time you were doing it. You may be doing something and kind of flits through your brain and then it's just gone and you completely forget. Does that ever happen to you? Well, it happens to me. And it happened at this Pasadena book event. So the tagline that I almost always write, I'll write something, you know, that's personal to the person that I'm signing the book for. 
And then I'll always, um, before I sign the book, I'll write be brilliant with an exclamation point because what we know is that every ADHD brain is brilliant in their area of interest or in its area of interest, right? So it's always be brilliant. And then I sign my name. So I'm signing books. And all of a sudden, I realized that a few books before I had signed be best, you know, Melania Trump's pet White House project name. And I'm just mortified first that someone might think that I plagiarized the tagline, but then that I would use that tagline to begin with. You know what I'm saying, right? So I tell the person whose book I'm signing right then and there what happened. And we're laughing about it, making jokes about it. And I think in my brain that when we get to the Q&A part of the evening, where I get to sit down with Jill Daniels, who's the curator of all these fabulous book events, that I'm going to bring it up. I'm going to make a joke about it. We're going to make it funny. And I can explain to the person whose book I signed in that manner. Because I don't know who it is. I just remember signing it right? Well, you know what happened then, right? Yeah, I totally forgot about it until I left the event. So since last Thursday night, I have been thinking about this, laughing about it, been horrified by it. And last night, I'm trying to figure out how do I find this person? How do I tell them? How do I get the word out? It's not that big of a deal, but you know how we make things a big deal. And I get some of the pictures back. There was a photographer at this particular event. And I find a photo of me signing a book to Katie that says, be best. And I am so relieved. So, oh my God, Katie, if you or any of Katie's friends were there and are listening, would you please let her know that I meant be brilliant, not be best? There's one other thing that I also forgot at every single one of these book events thus far, and that was to please ask for your support in writing a review of the book for Amazon and Goodreads. It really, really, really makes a difference. And remember, it's the ripple effect, right? We change more lives when they learn this information. And the only way that happens is if women like you tell other women. And one of the best ways to do that is through a review. Again, it really, really does make a huge difference. And all it requires is two or three sentences. It does not have to be a big old stinking review. And if that's too much, I will gladly settle for just giving me some gold stars on Amazon. You know, you don't even have to write a review. You can just go in there and click the gold stars. You can do that on um, Apple Podcasts too for this podcast. So what I'm gonna do is I will post the link to our show notes to make this even easier for you. Actually, why don't I give that to you right now? So it's ADHDforsmartwomen.com forward slash epi, like an episode, E-P-I hyphen, Two six seven. So ADHD for smartwomen.com forward slash epi hyphen two six seven. If my work has made any difference in your life, I cannot even begin to express how much this would mean to me. And one more thing I just found out for our listeners in Europe, especially the UK, New Zealand, Australia, English speaking listeners. I just found out that the book, the audiobook, the whole schlebang, is that even a word? 
All of it is being released tomorrow, the day after Valentine's Day, February 15th in Europe. And it's being released by Headline Home, which is a division of Hachette. And hopefully I'm not massacring that name. I think it's Hachette. Anyway, I'm super excited about that too. If you're still looking for the book, however, you can find it at ADHDforsmartwomen.com. Now, on to the podcast. You know, my purpose is always to show you who you are and then inspire you to be it. And in the thousands of ADHD women that I've had the privilege of meeting, I've never met a one that wasn't truly brilliant at something, not one. And so, of course, today, I am just delighted to introduce you to Gabrielle Giuliano Villani. So, Gabrielle, one of the things I didn't check with you is, did I pronounce your name right? You were close. Okay. What is, <laughs> what is it? It's Gabrielle Giuliano Villani. Oh, okay. Gabrielle Giuliano Villani is a licensed clinical social worker. She is a consultant, a coach, an entrepreneur, and educator based in Sarasota, Florida. Gabrielle began her career in child protective and victim services before moving into in-home care management with Humana. She started her private practice in 2017, specializing in working with older adults, folks with chronic pain, illness, and trauma. Over the next three years, she scaled into group practice, managing 15 clinicians and reaching seven figures in revenue. But after realizing her own burnout in 2021, she sold her practice and made it her mission to educate others on the impact stress has on our everyday lives. Gabrielle pulls from her experience as an EMDR and polyvagal informed therapist to utilize mind-body approaches to help others implement everyday strategies to manage stress and live their best lives. Gabrielle is an international speaker, a coach for the Small Business Administration, and has been featured in Authority Magazine, The Daily Own, Bustle, and the Everyday Woman TV Network. She's obsessed with animals, especially sloths, and hates cilantro. When she's not working, Gabrielle is teaching Zumba, traveling the world, surfing, or reading a psychological thriller at the beach. I love those too. So welcome, Gabrielle. Did I get all that right? Except for the pronunciations. <laughs> you did. It was absolutely beautiful and perfect. And thank you for having me. Absolutely. Okay, so I need to know about this small business association. You know, my husband works with them. And so when I saw SBA in your bio, I'm thinking Small Business Association. Wait, it's a Small Small Business Administration, right? Yeah, but I always want to say association too, <laughs> for some reason. Okay. So what did you do for them? I find that fascinating. I'm going to have to tell them. Yeah, it was actually really interesting because I didn't know that this opportunity existed either. And they have a program called Thrive. So if anybody's listening to this and you're an entrepreneur, you can apply if you make over have 250k a year in revenue and have at least one employee and it is a free program and it's about 6 months and it's kind of like getting a mini MBA and so there's eight modules that we go through through marketing and finances and I helped my cohort I coached them through all of that to help them be better entrepreneurs and scale their businesses so that was extremely fun and also a big push for me in my own imposter syndrome because I was like, nobody is going to want me to do this. I'm just a therapist. Nobody cares. <laughs> and it turns out they do. <laughs> yeah, they needed you, right? 
Yeah, exactly. And it, it was really fun. It was a great experience and it's a great program. I've actually heard of that program. Cool. Years ago, I had an SBA loan with my high-end women's wear company. And so I remember, <laughs> I remember that program. Okay. And what's with the sloths? That is hilarious. You know, they are like so ugly. No, they're the cutest things in the whole world. I love them. So I believe they're cute. <laughs> I just love them. <laughs> it's actually like a, there's a lot of weird stories that I have, but one of them being that in kindergarten or like second grade or something, we did a project on the rainforest and everybody had to get an animal, but they like assigned them. And because my second last name is at the end of the alphabet I was like there was nothing left but sloths and then I ended up loving them and I dressed up like one for when we did our presentations and I've been obsessed with them ever since and I saw one in the jungle of Costa Rica for the first time last year and it was the best day of my life oh that is the cutest thing ever so do they move really slowly they do super slow I think for some of us inattentives that have like slow cognitive tempo, of course, that's not me. I'm all over the place. We get called sloths a lot. Yeah. And I am an inattentive. And so I really resonate with sloths. And I also think it's a really good reminder for all of us to slow down and pay attention and notice what's happening. <laughs> and be more sloth-like. Yes, exactly. <laughs> okay, so... We always talk about ADHD here first. I would love to know your ADHD story. And if you need me to break it down into short questions, I can do that because sometimes now that I'm on the other end and doing all these podcasts, the thing I hate the most is when they're like, tell me your background. And then I can literally drone on for 20 minutes taking all these detours before I finally get to the point. So tell me your background with respect to ADHD or do you want me to break it down? I will answer your question and then... If there's more, you can break it uh -huh. down <laughs> so <that's laughs> with the best of both worlds. So like a lot of us, I got diagnosed very late in life, like not e barely two years ago. And even though I'm a therapist, I did not receive really any training on ADHD. And so I didn't really have any idea. And I thought everybody just experienced the world like I did, being overwhelmed and spinning their wheels all the time and having a hard time focusing. It's like, that's just everyone. We're all stressed. Yeah. <laughs> and it turns out we're not. So <laughs> what led me to getting formally diagnosed was a really close friend of mine. She's also an entrepreneur and also a therapist who also has ADHD. And just the things that I would share with her when I would feel stressed or upset. And she was like, I think you're one of us. <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, I've been fine. I've made it through. And I remember I was doing a training for somebody. And she was like, do you have that slide deck ready? The training's tomorrow. And I was like, no, I'm working on it. And she's like, that's very ADHD of you to procrastinate like this. And I was like, do people with ADHD procrastinate? That's how I've always done it. <laughs> like, wait till the last minute. So it works for me. So that's what led me to getting a formal diagnosis, which really changed my worldview and my perspective again, because I just thought that everybody was like this. And so many things have caused me stress. And looking back, being in school, 
and having a hard time focusing and paying attention. And they used to put me like outside in the hall to take tests because I couldn't focus. And again, I was like, that's just not really a big deal. Like everybody's like that. The procrastination, the being super, super sensitive. And even when I was younger, it was much worse. If somebody criticized me at all, I would like burst into tears. And so all of these things now make sense and have really just been life-changing to help me move through life a little bit easier, especially as an entrepreneur who's self-employed. So was your thought that, oh my gosh, I got a, you know, I did undergrad, I got a master's. I mean, was that kind of your thinking that I can't possibly have ADHD? It was a little bit because I think that is a lot of the messaging too. And also a lot of the messaging that people who have ADHD are really hyperactive and I'm not at all because I'm inattentive, but also the hyperactivity happens internally. My brain is like going 8,000 miles a minute constantly. And again, I just thought that everybody was like that. (laughs) But yes, I did think that. I'm like, well, I mean, yeah, I got through college and I did have some trouble when I first started, but I figured it out and I was like, that's fine. I did that. I got my master's. I got my clinical license. I started a business like that. So, yeah, some of that does play into that, too. You can't be this successful. You have to really be struggling. So I'm curious, once you found out, OK, it's ADHD and you had the benefit of hindsight, what are some of the symptoms that you always wondered about? But now you recognize them as clearly, oh, my gosh, that was the ADHD. Definitely the procrastination. That is one of my biggest (laughs) struggles in life. (laughs) And needing a deadline, like, you know, people would tell me, oh, just get it to me when you can. I'm like, no, no. If you tell me that, it's never going to happen. If you need something from me, you need to tell me when. (laughs) And so the procrastination is a really big one. Feeling just chronically overwhelmed, feeling um, I really struggle with if I start something new or if it's like something I don't know a lot about, I have a hard time starting that because it feels overwhelming to me. Like I don't know where to start. I don't know what the first step is. You know, like I read things that people write and they're so beautiful. Like they connect this beautiful story from A to B to C. And I have a really hard time doing that, too. And I think the way I explain things sometimes makes sense to me. (laughs) It doesn't make sense to everybody else. (laughs) And finally, the doom piles. I have so many piles of shit everywhere. And I hate them. I've never heard it phrased like that, doom piles. So after (laughs) you, I'm actually not interviewing her. She's interviewing me, the clutterbug woman. Oh, my God, I need her. (laughs) Well, you know what I realized that she does is, so she creates these podcasts, and I think they're on YouTube, too. I think that's where she started. But literally, when people listen to the podcast, she gives them direction that you're supposed to be doing this now. Like, you're supposed to be tidying now, you know, which is, I think, really helpful, right? Because the starting. So smart, because that's what it is. It's the starting, and it feels overwhelming, and I don't know where to start, so I just don't do it, and I just leave it there. And I feel very vulnerable sharing that because I'm a woman and women are supposed to be really clean and I'm really messy. I'm not dirty, but I'm messy. I have piles of clothes. I have piles of paper. Like it's, that's my biggest struggle. (laughs) Okay, but can I say something? When you think of, like you were, when you were in college or even now, right? Uh You meet a guy 
honestly, you meet a partner, you meet a potential partner, and you have never been to their house before, and you walk in, and let's say it's a man. It's almost like if it's not a mess, right? You're thinking, oh, he's really got it together. I mean, I remember that with my husband. Like, there were pictures on the wall. Everything was decorated. Everything was clean and neat. And I'm like, what the hell? Is this really a guy? Mm-hmm. So it's expected, right, from a guy. But if you're a woman, everything's supposed to be so perfect. It's like, what the hell? Total yeah. sexism and BS. It totally it's not is. true, right? It's not. And it's one of those things that, and I talk about this a lot, and we'll probably get into this later too, the shoulds. Like, it should be a certain way. And so that getting my diagnosis and just being me in general has like helped me what I call like dismantling the shoulds of how things should be. And it's funny because my husband is also very clean and organized and he likes to decorate and he's really good at that. So he must just attract people like yes. that. Well, you attract yourself, right? Which I think would be hard because, uh, but, or you track the complete opposite, which can be great. Or if they're shaming you about it, it can really be awful. If they're a partner who's helping, that's one thing. But if they're just like, well, you should be doing this because you're a woman and you're not doing it and just constantly after you. No, that makes it way worse. That is the wrong environment. No, we don't want that. We want supportive partners. And my partner, my husband is very supportive. And actually yesterday I needed to do something. And he very gently was like, maybe you should do that right now while you're thinking about it. And I was like, oh, (laughs) thanks, babe. (laughs) If they're really smart, they learn how to word it in such a way that you think you came up with it. And that's very effective. I was like, okay, I'm going to go do that right now. And he's like, and maybe try not to get distracted on your way to your (laughs) office before you do the thing. I was like, I will do my best. (laughs) No guarantees. Well, you know, don't want to turn that creativity off. Exactly. I'm sorry. It's just how I am. (laughs) Okay. So I want to know, what were you like as a child? I'm always interested in that. Mm, I was very different than I am now. I'm still introverted. But as a kid, I was very introverted. I was very shy. I'm an only child. So... I played by myself a lot. I was very creative, though, and I loved reading. I loved animals, but I was the kid who was friends with everybody. I love sloths, <laughs> but I wasn't loud, and I wasn't like, you know, I was always the one who kind of got pushed to the side. Like, if you were picking people, I was usually the last one. I never pushed myself to the front. I never really wanted to be seen I was always like in the background, making sure everybody else was being taken care of. <laughs> but that's also why you were friends with everyone. And that's yeah. my premise, is that inattentive girls and women, everybody seems to love them, right? Because they don't buck the system. They go along, they get along. It's the hyperactive, impulsive ones that I think struggle much more with the social structures because girls aren't supposed to be like that. They're actually supposed to be, you know, more retiring and willing to recede and let other people take the stage. And so they tend to have many less struggles with um, social stuff. In fact, they tend to have a lot of friends and Mm -hmm. lifelong friends. You know, they're able to 
because they're less hyperactive. It's not as much the, oh, next, what are we going to do next? <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that totally makes sense. <laughs> okay. So what has changed since you were diagnosed? It sounds like a lot. A lot has changed. It has really just given me so much insight into who I am and why I do things the way that I do. And also not why, but more about how I can structure my schedule and my life and the things that I do to better fit myself instead of, again, trying to fit into shoulds and what I think I should be doing, which led me down a road of chronic illness and burnout. And I mean, and that's a struggle every single day, but I know that about myself now. And that has just really shifted my worldview into being able to be more compassionate towards myself also, instead of shaming myself and being like, you have this slide deck due tomorrow. Why aren't you doing it? What is wrong with you? Everybody else can get their shit in on time. What is wrong with you that you can't? And now I know that that dialogue is not helpful and that I can reframe that as to like, this is what works for me. This is my brain. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm not a bad person. I just do things differently. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting how once you know that, actually, this is a question. I am assuming that once you know that, it literally affects everything. Everything. Yes. It totally does. Like, I think about this all the time. Like, that example that I just gave is a really good one. Or if I'm feeling overwhelmed with something and I'm like, why can't you just do this? And I'm like, well, because I can't. And then maybe I need to reframe that and restructure it to, I need to break this down into smaller things. Or maybe this is not a project that I need to be doing at the end of the day when I'm really tired. I need to be doing this first thing tomorrow when I'm fresh and when I'm not so tired. And what I need right now when I am tired is to just sit on the couch with my bra off and watch Real Housewives. And that's fine. And there's nothing wrong with that. (laughs) Which Real Housewives? Right now, Salt Lake City. Oh, my God. They are such a train wreck. I can't believe we're talking about this. You know what my husband will do? So he'll be like, I'm going to go to bed. It is late. And I've been so good about sleep up until... Honestly, my mom passed away and then the book stuff just started taking off and I have to be up because there's so much that I have to get done. I felt like such a fraud giving this sleep workshop, I don't know, two weeks ago. But I know this is not a normal situation, right? Yeah. And so what he will literally do, because I typically I get mad when he leaves me, right? I don't want to get (laughs) off the couch because I've got work to do, but I get mad that he wants to go to bed. And so... What he does to kind of make me less mad is he'll turn one of those crap shows on, you know, Salt Lake City or Beverly Hills. I think those are the those are the two. Yeah, I'm watching Beverly Hills also. <laughs> At least I feel like I've got companionship. It's so mindless that you don't need to pay attention because you know exactly it's all the same crap all the time. Right. But I can work to it and I don't feel alone. So I think that's funny. And I think we like reality TV because of that very reason. It's kind of like chatter on in the background. We don't have to really pay attention. And it's not hard to figure out what happened, right? Because it's the same stuff over and over. It doesn't take a lot of my attention because that's exactly what I like about it. It's just on in the background. It's noise. I kind of look up every once in a while. But yeah, I know it's happening, but I don't need to sit there and like completely be in the zone paying attention to it for an hour. Yeah. 
Yeah, and you know that I can't do anyway. I mean, I my Same. you know my, <laughs> my husband, way. my kids, they're just like me. But whenever there's something serious happens in a movie, unless I'm at the movie theater, then I can pay attention because yep. you know I can't have anything with me. Yep. I can, but it's rude. <laughs> so we're watching a movie, and it's always like the really serious, intense parts. And I'm like, wait, who's that? What happened? What? And they're just, why don't you watch the movie? I don't know, because I'm doing this other thing. So I'm on my phone. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so I think that part and parcel of the ADHD is nervous system regulation. And it makes sense, right? Because we struggle with things like emotional dysregulation and sensory issues, and we get overwhelmed easily. And, well, I am very excitable, you know. I always say that I'm a gusher. So if I believe in something or I find something that I really like, you know, I want the whole world to know about it. And so I'm a gusher. So I really believe that the pure, the bottom line goal with ADHD is to master our nervous system. And so that's why I'm so delighted to have you here today with us to talk about this. And so what I want to talk about, I want to talk about EMDR. I want to talk about the polyvagal approach to therapy, how they can help with ADHD. And I want to talk about ADHD, chronic illness, chronic pain. I think that we should probably talk about chronic pain and chronic illness and, you know, why women are diagnosed with chronic illness and chronic pain at a much, much higher rate than men. (laughs) Like, we're twice as likely to be diagnosed with anxiety, right? Yeah, yeah. We are at a higher risk for anxiety. We're at a higher risk for chronic illness and chronic pain. We're at a uh, higher risk for grief. If you are grieving, you there's something called complicated grief that we're at a higher risk for. So yay us. <laughs> but this is why I'm excited to be here too, because nervous system stuff is my jam and I could talk about it for the next 12 hours. Like I just feel so strongly about it and how important it is. So We'll do our best to get through as much as we can. (laughs) No, absolutely. And we biologically, I had read this, but I forgot about it, is we have more nerves in our body. So we're also more sensitive to pain. Yet again, most studies don't involve women because that pesky thing called hormones, right? It makes the studies more complicated and more expensive. And so... I remember reading that we are told that, okay, well, this is how much pain medicine you will get. And they'll use the man's body as the default. And for women, then when we come back and we say, well, wait a minute, I think I need more, you know, because I am still in pain, we're not believed. I mean, the whole thing, you know, and then all the autoimmune and inflammatory diseases. Like when I discovered that we're at a much higher risk for all of those all of a sudden it was like, wait a minute, I think this is nervous system. I think it is sexism. I think it is all of the responsibilities that are put on women. No wonder. What do you think? Yeah, we have to keep our houses clean. (laughs) We can't have doom files. (laughs) You know, when you were saying all of that, like I agree 100%. And it also made me think of you know, I've had lots of chronic stuff my whole life and it was always just kind of like, you know, pushed to the side. And then 
when I got COVID for the first time in 2020 and I was having a very hard time recovering and I was telling my doctor, like, it's been a minute. It's been like three months. It's been six months. It's been nine months. And I'm still nauseous and having brain fog. And I'm very tired. And I just, I don't feel like myself. And I think something is wrong. She was like, oh, you just need to take more vitamin D. We don't really know. And I'm like, that's not an acceptable answer to me. And so I, you know, I found functional medicine, which I know is not everybody's thing, but it really helped me. And that was the first time that a doctor actually was like, no, there's something we can do about this. And yeah, actually, this back pain that you've been having <laughs> since you were like a kid, that's also not normal. And you shouldn't be in pain at your age. And I'm like, oh, I just thought everybody felt like that. He's like, no, <laughs> that's not true. And he actually listened and like gave me tangible things that I could do that could change myself and my body. And I agree that a lot of it is nervous system stuff. So we know that fibromyalgia and multiple sclerosis are diseases of the nervous system. Is there thought now that all of the autoimmune and inflammatory diseases are also that as well? Is that kind of starting to become more a common you know, thought or understanding? Or is it like two camps? I think that some people find this very controversial, and that's fine. And again, I am not a doctor, but there is a lot of talk, which I can see and which I agree with, and there is research showing this, that yes, autoimmune stuff comes from that. And because when you are in fight or flight or freeze stages in your nervous system, there are tons of hormones being dumped into your bloodstream, like adrenaline and cortisol and all of those things, and that causes inflammation. And if you are chronically in fight or flight or freeze, then guess what? You're chronically having that stuff dumped into your nervous system, and that can cause pain. And that can also tell your body that like we're under threat all the time. And so all of this is so connected. And that is why, again, it's just so important for anybody listening, even if you don't agree with me, that's fine. But to understand this, because it is all connected, every single person has a nervous system. Every single person listening to this has a nervous system and your nervous system is responding either good or bad, (laughs) better or worse, to everything that we're saying right now and also everything that's happening in your environment. And it's taking that in and it's giving a response to it. So we've all got it. It's not about things. And I know I just said good or bad, but it really isn't about that. It's about just it is and just knowing and just Deb Dana, who's done a lot of research on this, calls it befriending your nervous system. And I love that. It's just about building awareness and understanding what's happening. Who was the author that you were just talking about? Her name is Deb Dana. Okay. So Stephen Porges is a psychiatrist and he's the one who developed polyvagal theory. And Mm -hmm. Deb Dana has worked alongside him and... They also have the Polyvagal Institute together. They do lots of trainings together, and I just really enjoy her work. She's got tons of amazing books. She has Polyvagal Exercises for Safety and Connection, which is really good. And also her newest book is called Anchored, and that's also very easy to read. Hey there, I've got some fantastic news to share. Jill Daniel has selected our book, ADHD for Smartass Women, for an exclusive virtual book club and workshop event. 
I'm really excited to be asked to lead you through this unique adventure because this is a special opportunity for us to connect, for you to learn all about your ADHD brain and how it works and start to really fall in love with it. Look, if you want to read ADHD for smart-ass women, but you struggled to finish a book, so you want some positive accountability, or you see the value in being part of an amazing community of other women just like you, I can't think of a better opportunity. Many of you have been asking me to do an evening event because everything I do is always during the workday. Hello, ADHD brain. Well, guess what? I listen to you, and I'm doing it, and it is this live book event. Now, it's a three-session event that begins on Wednesday, February 21st, and it's going to be led, as I said, by Jill Daniels and her team. I'll be there to introduce the book, and then I'll be there for a full discussion and comprehensive Q&A, where I will, of course, answer all your questions. This book club, it's about creating a space where we spark that positive emotion, fuel our dopamine, and use this knowledge to transform our lives. It's more than just a discussion. It's a chance to discover and embrace your strengths, get inspired by others that are just like you, and make meaningful changes in your life. It's about being part of a community that truly understands and supports you. Let's embrace our ADHD brains and unlock our potential together. So if you're in for this exciting event, go to spyhappy.me forward slash book club. Spaces are limited, and this is an opportunity you won't want to miss. So we're talking about this nervous system dysregulation and that all of this disease and inflammation and et cetera, et cetera, is caused by a dysregulated nervous system. Do you agree that that's exactly what we have with ADHD, especially if, like you said, you're on chronic overwhelm? We definitely can. And part of the problem and why this is so important for people with ADHD, and again, I didn't even realize this, right, is that we're not in our bodies very much. We're up here in our head and we're just thinking and thinking and thinking and the thoughts are racing and blah, 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 blah. It's going on and on. And so we're not paying attention to the signals that we're getting. We're clenching our jaw. We're hungry, but we didn't notice. We're thirsty, but we didn't notice. We're tired. We're overstimulated. Whatever it is, we're not noticing and we're not paying attention because we're in our head so much. And so we're ignoring the cues that we're getting from our body, which is, by the way, 80% comes from our body of that stuff. And we're just not paying attention. And so we are pushing ourselves and the shoulds and blaming ourselves and saying, oh, yep, you know what? I am just going to stay up till midnight and finish the slide deck, even though I'm exhausted and push ourselves and then wake up the next day and feel even worse because we're not noticing what's happening in our bodies. And we also tend to go through the stages. So there's three stages. We're talking about polyvagal theory. Okay, wait, let's back up a second on pagal. Okay. Polyvagal <laughs> theory, theory and therapy. Let's start with what is it? Like, how's it different than cognitive behavioral therapy? Ooh, that could be a whole podcast episode. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's start with what is it? Okay. <laughs> So two separate things. So EMDR is something called eye motion desensitization reprocessing. And that is a form of therapy where we use bilateral stimulation. So we use either tapping or images that go across 
the midline of your body. And we use that to reprocess not just trauma, but also any negative beliefs. And we change those into either something more positive or more neutral. And how I explain EMDR is like your brain is a big filing cabinet. And, you know, when you open the drawers, there's all those little folders, right, that you put all your papers in. And some of them, right, or you just take it out like something happy, like the day you got married. You take that out and you look at it and you feel good and then you close it back up and then you put it back into the drawer and you close the drawer and it's gone. But some of those, you know, maybe you got into a car accident. Maybe you, I don't know, had a significant loss in your life, whatever it is. And those files are like stuck. So you can't close the drawer all the way because those files are preventing it. They're like jammed in there. And EMDR takes those out. And again, we make them more neutral or positive so that you can put them back in the drawer and you can take them out when you want to, but they're not around when you don't need them. So that's what EMDR does. And polyvagal theory is different, but it goes nicely with EMDR work. So polyvagal theory is a theory that was developed by Stephen Porges. Like I said, he's a psychiatrist. And there's already lots and lots of research about our vagus nerve, but he rediscovered two other vagal pathways in our nervous system when he was doing research with newborns. And this had to do with how we respond to our environment. So a really good example of if we're thinking about like, what the hell does that even mean? And if you're not, haven't seen this before, I'll explain it. There's a video that's very popular that they show us in grad school <laughs> about attachment. And there is a baby and a mom. And the baby and this mom are like interacting and she's they're smiling and she's like, oh, my God, you're so cute. I love you. Like being so cute. And the baby's happy. And then she completely goes flat and she stops interacting. So the baby, right, is like, hello, like, are you there? You know, not crying quite yet, but like, are you paying attention to me? Like, give me something. And she's not giving him anything. And then he starts to cry. And that is a nervous system response to your environment when your needs may not be getting met. And so Stephen Porges and Deb Dana and a couple of other folks and me, because I love this work, <laughs> believe <laughs> that, again, we have these three stages of response in our nervous system and it keeps us safe. And if you are dysregulated or if you have trauma, those phases can look a little bit different and you can be in fight or flight. I know probably everybody knows what that means or freeze for a lot of your life or bouncing back and forth between the two. And that's not healthy. I mean, life happens, shit happens, there's stress. It's normal to go through those things, but it's not normal to stay in them for too long because it does cause inflammation. And there's a lot of changes that happen in your brain as well. So you told the story about the mother and the baby, and I'm trying to figure out how that connects to polyvagal theory. So it connects to polyvagal theory because our nervous system is responsible for those responses. Our nervous system is responding to threats of safety, threats of connection, or actual threats. So like, you know, of danger, right? And so even though that doesn't seem dangerous per se, nobody was coming at that baby with a knife, but that baby that there was no safety there. It wasn't getting its needs met. So our nervous system is taking in constantly 
cues from our environment and also internally and then having a response to them. And so like another example of this, this is actually called the technical term is called neuroception. And it's basically our body's internal response. It's like an alarm. And so it's looking all the time like what's happening and do we need to respond to this and do we need to freak out? So if you think about times where maybe you've gotten triggered and you were like, I have no idea why I even had that response. I don't know why I freaked out so bad about the way somebody said that to me. It's because your nervous system detected a threat and then responded how it needed to respond. Does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to connect. Who's the big trauma guy? It's not uh, Bruce Perry. It's Bessel. Yes. Bessel van der Kolk, right? Yes. So is that basically the same thing where, you know, he talks about trauma and attachment with developmental trauma, right? Where the child, they don't feel safe with their parent versus your story. That mother was clearly bonded and connected to her infant. But what they were trying to show is when she then went cold, the baby would react because it wasn't used to that. I mean, it sensed that, oh, I'm not safe. I'm not getting my needs met. Okay. So are they kind of part and parcel? They are. Their work, like that Bessel van der Kolk. And what, what's his book called? Why am I like completely The Body blocking? Keeps the Score. Yes. And yes. a lot of people have very strong opinions about him, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I prefer Bruce Perry and I what happened to you. you know, yeah, I, just, I do as well. <laughs> and there's so much trauma reading that book. It's like, oh, you know. That book is very hard to get through. So you and if anybody is listening to this and you're thinking about it, like you don't you don't need to read that. (laughs) You don't want to. (laughs) You can read what happened to you. Right. Yeah. That's a great alternative. And yes, very similar to explaining about our bodies and trauma and the connection. Yeah. And if you read the audio book or if you listen to the audio book, you get to hear Oprah. Mm hmm. Which I much yeah. prefer audiobooks also because I need them on one and a half speed. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Which is so interesting. You're in a ten of ADHD. So is that what keeps your focus? It gives you an opportunity to go other places. It does. I will get distracted and I cannot pay attention if there's slowness, even though I like slots. <laughs> I need it to be like, this is a really dumb example, but my friend and I were just talking about this because... You know, I post on social media and I post on TikTok. I keep getting these freaking ads from TikTok and they're like, you need to post videos that are longer than a minute. We're going to start pushing videos that are longer than a minute. And I'm like, who is watching those? Not me. If it's longer than like 30 seconds, I scroll past it. (laughs) But I guess there's a market out there. (laughs) Yeah, but it's probably not your market. It's not my market. (laughs) Yeah, well. I have your side of the brain in terms of if it's too long. I mean, unless it's so engaging, I'm just like on to the next thing, but I can't shut up. So my team is always like, your videos need to be under two minutes. I'm like, two minutes? I can't stop at 10, you know? So they have to like pull pieces from it. I'm the same way when I'm talking. When yeah. I'm talking, it's like a tangent that never ends. And I'm like, it's so funny because I'm like, I wouldn't watch this, but I just can't shut up. I just keep going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So talk to us about polyvagal theory and therapy. Like, how do the two intermix? And 
how is this helpful for ADHD women? Like, what does it look like? Or is it polyvagal theory and the therapy is EMDR or any kind of tapping or anything somatic that gets or cognitive behavioral therapy that uses that theory, which sounds a lot like the whole, you know, attachment parenting, you know, it goes very nicely with with all of that stuff. And it's not really a therapy modality, but it's it's used in therapy. And so how I use it and actually, even though I don't I don't do therapy anymore and I just do coaching with people, even when I'm doing business coaching, I do this because it's important. And what we do is something called nervous system mapping. And this is like my favorite exercise. And we go through and we look at those three stages and we talk about what happens here. What does that look like? What am I feeling? Where do you feel it in your body? Of course, I'm going to ask that question. And, you know, what is it? What's going on? What thoughts are you having? What do you believe about the world? And what do you believe about yourself? And we do that for all three of those stages because that begins to build that awareness. And again, I want to be very clear, like when you're in fight or flight or freeze, that's not a bad thing. It's just about building awareness and understanding yourself. So it's just a feeling. Yeah, it's just there. It's okay. <laughs> and, it's, and it's allowed and you need to acknowledge it. And like for me, again, this is kind of like a, a basic example, but I get very nervous when I do presentations or public speaking. And but I felt like a call to do that. And so I'm listening to that. But I need some of that fight or flight energy to like push me and like give me a little motivation to get up and speak in front of hundreds of people, which is terrifying. And then I know that after that, I'm like in my freeze response because I'm overstimulated. And I know that after that, I need a couch time or like even I did a conference in Costa Rica on polyvagal theory and I told them this exact thing. I was like, after this presentation, I'm going to be very worn out and I'm going to be sitting by the pool with my headphones in and my sunglasses on and I'm not going to be available for questions. (laughs) If you'd like to talk to me, I'm here tomorrow or you can email me or we can talk real quick after this. But like the rest of the day is spent. I'm done now. And I know that about myself. And so when I do things like this, like even though I enjoy doing this, I don't have like more presentations booked today because I know that I really only have like so much gas in the tank. And that has really helped me understand myself because again, ADHD, I'm not in my body. I'm just going, 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 especially because I'm an entrepreneur and I'm creative and I get excited and I just keep going. And then I've gone too far and it's too late. (laughs) So this helps me regulate and it can help you regulate too if you notice that you're not in your body so much. And so that's how I would use it in therapy is for us to understand our triggers, what pushes us too much, what we need to feel calm and to feel safe. And this is different than cognitive behavioral therapy because cognitive behavioral therapy is more about your thoughts and your actions and what's going on up here in your brain. But you're using part of that, right? Like when you're talking about nervous system mapping. So can we back up a second? So let's use your example. You get anxious when you have to do any kind of presentation, public speaking. So how would you use nervous system mapping? How would you prepare yourself before you go you know, on stage, like, can you give us like one, two, three, this is what you're going through with nervous system mapping. 
Yeah. So as far as nervous system mapping, like it's about knowing the thoughts, the feelings, the triggers, and also the good things in each stage of your nervous system. So knowing that for me in fight or flight, my heart is racing, my mouth gets really dry, my hands shake a little bit. And also something else that I didn't talk about, but we're talking about the brain is your prefrontal cortex is not online. So your amygdala enters the chat. (laughs) If you know anything about that, it's all about fear and survival. So that is why, right, we say like, you know, if you're upset, calm down. I don't want to talk to you right now until you're calm. (laughs) And even though that, that can be a trigger, it's because your prefrontal cortex is where the good decisions are made. That's where the executive function or dysfunction happens. And so I know that when I'm triggered and somebody does send me a shitty email and I'm pissed off about it, it's not a good time for me to respond because I'm not thinking rationally. And so in my example where I'm talking about my anxiety and like using that fight or flight, it's like there are different levels. And so I'm not completely triggered where I'm like off the rails, but I am a little bit more anxious, but I'm using that energy as like a push or a little bit of a motivation to get me through that presentation. And how I've been able to do that or how other people can do that too is just about learning and building awareness of yourself. Okay. So can you give us steps to map your nervous system? To map your nervous system. And let's use your example like before you're going on stage. So to map your nervous system, we there's a couple different ways to do this. How I start it is actually in fight or flight. So you can get a piece of paper and put it into three chunks. And the middle one is fight or flight. And then I want you to think about what happens when you're in fight or flight. And if you don't know what that feels like or what that means, think about a time when you were upset or triggered and what was happening were you feeling? What did it look like? What was going on? What did you think about all of that? Where did you feel it? What thoughts and emotions did you have? And you do that exact same thing for freeze. You move into freeze and freeze, same thing. What happens when you're there? What does that look like? Are you a sloth on the couch? (laughs) Are you dissociated? Are you in bed? Like, what does that look like? What's happening there? And then finally, the third one, and I end here on purpose because this is a good place to end, is what is happening when you are, this is called your ventral vagal or safe and connected or rest and digest. When you are at like your best self and you are compassionate and mindful and in the moment and present and grounded, what does that look like? And what are the things that you do there to help you stay there? Because those are your mindfulness skills that you need to use when you are in fight or flight or freeze if they feel accessible to you. And they will feel accessible to you the more that you practice them. Because I know, I know for sure somebody listening to this or even you, Tracy, might be thinking this like, I'm having a panic attack. I can't do that shit. (laughs) And then I know I get that. But that is why you need to practice it outside of not having a panic attack because that we call this the window of tolerance gets bigger. So that rest and digest where your mindfulness skills are. And maybe, you know, for me, that's like deep breathing is actually a really good one and a very easy one that anybody can do. The more you do that, the bigger that gets, that window gets bigger. And it's going to take more to get you triggered into fight or flight. 
And when you do, it's not going to be as intense. So that is why we all therapists won't shut up about mindfulness and (laughs) practicing your skills and doing all of those things because it seems very, very small, but small things add up to very big changes, especially in your stress response. And so just keep practicing using those small things. That could be tapping. That could be breath work. Breath work is the fastest and easiest way to engage your vagus nerve. Just one deep breath. That's all you have to do. You could take a sip of water. This is another thing that I do that I really like is called a polyvagal playlist. So you can put together songs and music that you enjoy. And it doesn't have to be anything that relaxes you. It can just be songs that make you happy or make you feel good. It's all about the positive emotion, isn't it? (laughs) Ultimately, that is the path. (laughs) It is. And, you know, it's not about ignoring the negative things or the trauma, but it is about, again, building awareness and knowing that two things can be true at once and making choices where we can use our skills, where I can take a deep breath before I respond or I can listen to that music or I can look at a picture of my dog on my phone because I love her and she brings me joy. Like whatever it is, add that in and do it every day. I don't care how small it is. And if it's for 30 seconds, just do it. It's my advice to everybody. (laughs) So basically, by mapping your nervous system, you're trying to develop an awareness about your body, right? And how your body and your brain are kind of connect, not kind of, they are totally connected. And so... You do that first, but then the second step is you've now paused, you understand yourself a little bit better. You're creating a system, a structure, some sort of a plan that when you feel like you're going into fight or flight or you're in freeze, that you've got something to fall back on. And all that somatic work that you're doing allows you to get to the point where things are not going to bother you. They're not going to put you into fight or flight as easily as they would have before. And the better you get at the the mindfulness, the somatic therapies, the tapping, whatever you do, EMDR, the less likely that you're going to go back there. Am I getting that right? Yeah. And it's, I mean, we all will have negative and bad things happen to us and it's okay. It's okay to cycle through those stages and it's okay to feel them and to just notice and to just really, again, I keep, I know I've said this like 10 times, but like building awareness and like a good place to start too is like, if you're like, I don't know what any of that feels like. I mean, do you know what it feels like when something is a yes or a no? Or I'll also say, like, do you know what it feels like when you have to pee? I bet you know what that feels like. And something being a yes or a no, I want it to get to that same level. Like if somebody asked me to do something, like again, right, like a day I had a big presentation, I know that that is a no because I know that I get that feeling in my gut where I just am like, ugh. (laughs) And I know that I need to say no to that because if I don't, then I'm pushing myself too much and that is going to lead to stress and burnout. Yeah. Yeah. So you are learning how to pay attention to your body. like Because it's telling us everything we need to do, right? If we listen to it. But I think with ADHD women, what happens is that from the time, you know, you were little, you know, you had parents, you had teachers, you had partners, you had bosses, coaches who were telling you, oh, you're doing that wrong. 
you're like, why do I even bother? I'm not even going to listen to myself anymore. I'm just going to listen to these people. And then you have no insight on what's going on with you, right? You're just kind of going along for the ride. And that has been a really big part of my own experience is like, I felt like I don't know what to do because everybody else is doing it this way, or I heard this person do it this way, or this was the message I got from this person. And so it was like I had to relearn to trust myself. And so just because somebody else thinks it should be done a certain way, that doesn't mean that it works for me. If I need to say no, then I need to say no. Or if I know that like you're asking me to do a three-hour presentation, I'm going to say I'm not doing that. We can do one hour, three weeks in a row, or we can do 90 minutes. And those are the options for me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think some ADHD women, they don't even realize that they have the right to say no. First of all, they don't know that they even should say it, right? Because they can't, they're so disconnected from their body and how they feel. But then once they realize that, oh, I guess I I don't want to do that. They don't even realize that they can say, I don't want to do that. That is so funny that you bring this up too, because I was doing a project this week for somebody and it was very stressful and they were micromanaging me, even though I, you know, I'm a contractor, obviously work for myself and it was just not really aligning. And my friend and mentor was like, you know, you can just say you don't want to move forward. Like you're always in control. And I was like, yeah, I needed that reminder <laughs> because yeah. instead of like killing myself to like, you know, overcommit to this thing because of how she was micromanaging me, I'm like, oh, I'm going to do more. I'm going to show her that I was in the system for like 18 hours and I worked really hard on it and blah, blah, blah. And my friend was like, you're always in control. You can back out. It's in your contract. You can say it's not a good fit and you are allowed to do that. So again, just anybody listening, right? You, you're in the driver's seat. You're allowed to say no. And saying no is actually very empowering. Yeah. And chances are you're going to say no. And that person is going to be put on notice that, oh my gosh, I might not have her. And actually she's really good. And I'm going to change my behavior, right? (laughs) 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 Exactly. Because those people are used to everybody just bowing down to them also. And so you need, don't let people bully you. (laughs) It's so true. And I have had that experience lately with my book. And finally it was just, no, I mean, this is how I'm going to do it Mm -hmm. because it feels right to me. And everything's been different since. So I appreciate that. Okay, I want to ask you about EMDR. Okay. So I remember interviewing, you know, I'd heard so many great things about EMDR and so many wonderful success stories from other ADHD women, not to mention seeing that thing with, again, Oprah and Prince Harry. (laughs) Yes. Showed him, you know, um, experiencing EMDR. It was fascinating because I'd actually, I'd never done it. So I... I didn't even know what it looked like. And it, I'm very visual. And so I need to see it. I can't read it to understand. Mm-hmm. And um, so all positive things. And then I talked to a woman. I was interviewing her here for this podcast. Her mother, I think, was a psychologist or a psychiatrist. And she was talking about a neighbor who did EMDR. And she had a total break, psychosis, left the family, blah, blah, blah. And that it was really dangerous and, you know, all of this stuff. And I couldn't help but thinking, I, but think, well, maybe the EMDR actually helped her to understand that 
whatever her relationship with her partner was, was just trauma, right? And so did she go into psychosis? Did she take off on her family? Or did she finally realize that this is not working for me at all? And it's why I feel so sick, right? Depressed, anxious, whatever. So I am curious. I've been wanting to ask someone about EMDR. Is there a danger? There is a risk. And it's important to work with a practitioner, of course, that you feel good around. And there's also very significant training that we go through to get trained in EMDR. And you can also find somebody who's EMDR certified, which is different. It's There's like a that's more than just a basic training. It's where they have gone through continuing education and consultation and done hours and hours of work with clients. And so that's another way if you feel more comfortable. But there can be a risk and there's not great people out there. (laughs) And I hope that's not what happened. But, you know, it is a risk and people need to be assessed that they are appropriate so and sometimes client get fresh clients get frustrated about that they really want to move into processing and it's like you're not ready to do that yet so emdr is actually eight phases so we don't just jump right into processing trauma there is a lot of prep work that we do beforehand to give you the resources and make sure that you're ready to dive into that so that's important too is like maybe they didn't have enough resourcing time or maybe they did and you know that's just one person's perspective that they had psychosis and they left and they changed their life but maybe the other part of that is exactly what you said that they actually realized that it wasn't serving them and they made a decision that was better for them and that may have triggered other people in their life which definitely happens so Is it your understanding and observation, like what you've witnessed over the many years that you've done EMDR therapy or conducted EMDR therapy, that as long as you have someone who's really reputable, that there is no danger? I think that there is very little danger. You haven't seen it personally. I haven't seen it personally, (laughs) you know, and I think it's also important to think and to remember also I've done EMDR therapy myself and yeah there are times where it's very hard I'm tearful I had crazy dreams afterwards because you're you know you are doing stuff with your brain and you're reprocessing and it can be very very intense but that doesn't necessarily mean it's dangerous and if you have somebody who is well trained and who has been through the training they will know how to help you but Just because you feel uncomfortable emotions doesn't mean that it's dangerous. Yes, exactly. I mean, that's the worst part, right? Is that if you're constantly stuffing it and stuffing it and just soldiering on and not dealing with those emotions, not feeling them, isn't that the main problem? Why you can't move past it? Exactly. (laughs) And so you have to feel those things. And and that's been a, a lifelong learning lesson for me, too. And I think that was goes with my ADHD as well and the RSD that I experienced very significantly is that I became a people pleaser and I didn't want to feel uncomfortable things, but that's not living. You know, life is good and life is bad and you need to experience those uncomfortable emotions just as much as the good ones. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. That was fantastic. So what is, Gabrielle, what is your, is it Gabriella or Gabrielle? 
It's Gabrielle. You've been calling me the right name. Gabrielle. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, what am I been saying? What is your number one ADHD workaround? Ooh. And he sent me this email. I was like, what is my number one ADHD workaround? I think, honestly, and I said this in the beginning, it's the dismantling of the shoulds. And Casey Davis, who I learned about from your podcast, is the one who really helped me with that when she was like, you know, just throw the clean clothes into a bin. You don't need to fold them. It's like, you don't. (laughs) And so that is really it for me is dismantling these shoulds. I am all about like just finding things that make your life easier. Like if you need to run the dishes twice, do it. Who cares? Like those types of things that we have were like set in our ways that we think we should do things a certain way. It's it's not that way. And that has been my biggest thing that I feel like I do for myself to accommodate myself. And again, this goes into my own nervous system and learning what I need and how I can accommodate that. And again, that's, you know, it's privileged because I do work for myself, but everybody has a nervous system. So you can figure out what works best for you and how you can best support yourself in your own system. I love that. That is brilliant. And I don't think anybody has ever had that number one workaround. So thank you. So Gabrielle, are you working on something that you want to tell us about? Where can people find you? All the stuff. I am. So I host retreats and I have more coming. And those are all focused on nervous system regulation. And I'm also a sound healer. So we do lots of sound healing. We do lots of meditation. We map our nervous systems together and I will guide you through that. And I'll also guide you through a lot of other activities on, you know, how to basically regulate yourself and learn more about yourself. And you can find out about all the things that I'm doing on my website, which I'm very easy to find because of my name. It's GabrielleGiulianoVillani.com. And it's the same on LinkedIn, TikTok, and YouTube. And then Instagram is at GJV Consulting. And by the time this comes out, I will probably have my next retreat planned. And it should be <laughs> should be in Belize next June. So if you want to come, you can use code ADHD and that'll save you 150 bucks. And you can find all that on my website. Wonderful. I want to make sure that we put that code in there. Okay, so I'm going to do that right now so I don't forget. Retreat discount code is, what did you say, ADHD? Yep, let's just make it easy. (laughs) Yeah, let's make it easy. Okay, Gabrielle, thank you so much for spending time with us here today. It was a pleasure to meet you. It was amazing to meet you after listening to your podcast for all this time. I'm so glad that I was able to share all this info with you and your listeners. Thank you. So that's what I have for you for this week. If you like this episode with Gabrielle, please let us know by leaving a review. Our goal is to change the conversation around ADHD, helping as many women as we possibly can learn how their ADHD brains work so that they too may discover their amazing strength. So Thank you for listening. I'll see you here next week. Don't forget, go order my book before you forget. ADHDforsmartwomen.com forward slash book. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the ADHD for Smartass Women podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Outsuka, and we're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. 
Not coincidentally, ADHD for Smartass Women, it's also the name of our free Facebook group. We're a totally smartass community of successful, ambitious women who share our ADHD wins, questions, and workarounds. Join us at tracyoutsuka.com, where you can also find more information on our Your ADHD Brain is A-OK system. I spy a happier life for us, and I'll see you again next week.